Okie dokie. Hi. Hi. Uh, welcome to All the Books. Wherein, wherein Lillian cannot get the Prince song Pussy Control out of her head. <laughs> and I can never get Prince songs out of my head. So we're just yeah. going to go around and around and around and lots of, uh, lots of purple loops. Purple, purple loop, purple loop. <laughs> I'm Jen Ponton. I'm Lillian Bustle. And this is a podcast about... Um, <laughs> when so your, many feelings. When your heart is full of mashed potatoes. Oh my god! That's the new byline. <laughs> Done. Yeah, your heart's full of mashed potatoes and everything's goopy and 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 everybody in the world wants you to just be cool and chill and that just is not an option. Oh my god. I don't believe anybody who who's cool and chill. I don't right? believe that those people exist. They don't. And if they are, I feel like they haven't seen any any um, adversity. It's all it's all a front, man. So why can't we just embrace that it's a front and like lean into the human experience? Like you're you're here to feel. Oh, that veneer is so it's it is so exhausting for me oh, to try to put on. up. Like the couple of times that I have done that have been mostly when I've been working in offices, and I'm like, oh. I have to wear my normal people drag today and right. pretend to be a normal person. <laughs> and then by, by noon, I'm like, I have to go to the second floor and take a nap. <laughs> Absolutely. Try not to cry. Mm. Great. Good, good, good. Oh, I mean, we didn't even talk about this with the jobs thing, but I have cried on the job so many times and it's so fucking embarrassing. Oh. But like, I can't, there's a tone of voice that a supervisor uses that I know they're trying to be kind and like, oh, I got to talk about something bad that you did. But like, it's okay. And then I'm like, oh no, right. I hear it. Oh, absolutely. And I hear the yep. comforting noise. And then I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. Absolutely. I, um, and I, I talk about this with one of my closest friends a ton, but also like when women cry at work, a lot of the time it's because you're pushing down so much rage that yeah. you are otherwise oh. not allowed to deal with yep, or tackle, sure. which is so accurate. Yes. I mean, my God. Yes. Uh, my tears almost always come from frustration. The first time I realized that, I mean, sometimes from genuine sadness also, but Absolutely. like those immediate, like you, you know, it's, if you let it out, it's going to be bad and you're going to be hyperventilating mm -hmm. that kind of thing. The first time I experienced that and noted that it was from frustration was from math, math and authority figures make me cry like that. Oh, yep. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's the anger. It's, it's the frustration with myself that numbers don't make sense to me. And the frustration with authority figures that like, I usually want to overplease, and I feel like I'm trying as hard as I can. And I'm still like not getting where I need to be. Right. right. And, or I haven't been set up for success. Like I haven't been given the tools I need mm -hmm. to do a good job for the person who wants me to do a good job. Oh God, what a mess. Anyway, that shows up a ton for me in, uh, injustice. Mm -hmm. from the from the most uh petty level of unfairness of like that's not fair and like of course it's not fair have you seen the world child come on i know but then to the most intense levels of i can't believe you're doing this to me because i've been doing abc this whole time and right. now you're telling me to do xyz go fuck the right on off mm -hmm. and um and and yeah like that Injustice will will bring tears, but tears of frustration and rage. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I had I to segue into what we were going to talk about. <laughs> I had a lot of tears of rage as a child due to oh, my home life. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so we, this is probably going to be a topic that we come back to over and over and over again. Um, but Jen and I had very bizarre childhoods and both of us had to kind of grow up really fast in different ways. Um, and we just, you know, we've been, we've been putting off doing this episode. Right. Cause it's I, not going to be, I mean, we'll make it fun, but still on the, on the grand spectrum of the fun that we have, this is oh. not close to the, to, to the zone <laughs> I like to stay in. This is more like a creepy carousel than a fun, <laughs> and then a fun roller coaster. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Yeah, we're like you might reach too far for the ring and then fall into the middle of the carousel and then get stuck in the. That's some action park shit. Yes, in the calliope. I couldn't come up with the word calliope. It was the piccolo. Uh, no, that's a very tiny flute. You could fall into a piccolo, and then you're really in a piccolo. <laughs> oh, <achcha! laughs> ooh, ooh. oh, fuck. <laughs> Um, this is all really important shit for us to talk about to like to really get some context though, because none of this exists in a vacuum. None of the fun weird stuff happens without the bad weird and without like it's just it's embracing the shadow part of it. Yeah. And that's like Ooh. you know. And yeah. shadow work is real important when it comes to putting your vulnerability together like a big floor puzzle so oh man i hate puzzles god damn it <laughs> i can do tangrams all damn day but ah, actual puzzles no oh i'm always like whose stupid ass idea who broke this <laughs> i didn't break it why do you want me to put it back together <laughs> uh... <laughs> also <laughs> Also, the fact that I grew up in a house that was a total mess oh, meant sure. that there was no help for a puzzle. You no, know what I mean? There would never be any space for a puzzle. Ah, shit. Look at that, friends. We just learned something new about me right here. I mean, live. The, dude, the discoveries that come. I just. So, um, man, I'm going to let you start. Okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, we'll get the organic. So I'm like slightly distanced from all of this because for a couple of reasons. First of all, both of my parents have passed away. Um, I spent a really long and intense time cleaning out their house with the help of many, many friends and, and then spent three years cleaning out my brain with my therapist. So I processed a lot of this, however, not done with it by any, like I just picked out like a, a photo album that I thought I was looking for pictures of me as a kid. And it was the album that I put together for my mom's memorial service. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, but my folks, uh, my mom and dad, Alan and Marsha, um, they grew up, both grew up in Manhattan, like in Manhattan, like New Yorkers, born and bred. And then they moved. Um, my sister is 11 years older than me. And shortly after they had me, they all moved down to Virginia to open a museum. I feel like I've touched on this before. This was in our uh, first one, but don't right. worry, this is all good. So um, three acres of land, tennis court, swimming pool, no idea how to maintain this. And somehow all of our money was gone immediately. I don't know how. We could have, my mom used to say over and over, we could have afforded to buy the house outright. And then we would have never had to have a mortgage, but your father didn't want to do that. I heard a lot of your father, your father, your father, your father. Sure. Right um and uh, so I was in constant fear of us being homeless as a child because I overheard their conversations all the time. 
And then as though my mom felt like if she put enough stuff into the house that she couldn't lose the house, she filled it up with stuff. And hoarding runs oh my God, in my that family. Was her, that was her mentality. I don't know that that's what it was. I think it was a million things. Yeah. It was that she didn't feel like my dad was a partner to her. It was that she, we found out later that she was abused by her dad growing up. My my grandmother was a hoarder. And it skips, not even skip generations, but it skips around in our family. Like it goes into ta- like second cousins and stuff. Um, and when I started opening up with it, about it with family members who I was not super close to, everybody was like, oh. Oh no, baby. Like we had to do this with her house. We had to do this with this person's house. We don't go to this person's house anymore. Right. So, um, uh, I mean that, that was more or less the springboard and it started off with like pieces from the museum that failed that we had to put somewhere. So they were in the house and then it started, then I feel like maybe we weren't paying for our trash pickup or something. And over the years, it just, like I, I grew up in piles of trash and I figured it out and oh my God, I made the best crafts because there was always some weird shit under a pile somewhere. I, one year I made these, um, I took uh, cigar boxes and I covered them in satin and I like did batting on them and I made all of my friends these beautiful boxes with weird stuff glued all over them. Oh my God, that's amazing. Thanks. It was probably like it was like actual vintage stamps or little weird trinkety toys and stuff, but I tried to theme it to the person. Yeah. So I channeled I that. all of my, Oh my God, what the fuck is anything into creative stuff all the time, drawing, reading, singing, very, very little actual guidance towards any of it. Mm. <laughs> like lessons. So, um, and you and I have really, I think that's interesting because you and I have really enjoyed going to Luna Park. Oh, yeah. Which is such a lovely. Uh, so we both live in Jersey and uh, she's in Jersey City. I'm in the, the sticks. But even more in the sticks is this beautiful, this beautiful mu- eccentrics museum, essentially, uh, run by a guy named Ricky Boscarino, who used to live in Manhattan. And then he bought a uh, like an abandoned hunting shack. In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> is that where it was? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, all that the shack was, I think, is the kitchen. Oh, that, right? we talked about. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. That. And so he bought this tiny little shack for like five thousand dollars in the eighties. And who knows what his hoarding tendencies might be? But he is the most brilliant, creative mind um, who just sculpts and does mosaics and paintings and he collects all manner of bizarre things that then turns his house into them yeah his whole house is just this living breathing art project yeah um and so i feel like going there with you i always feel this um this immense creativity like fill me where i don't feel like i have to get rid of everything but i do feel like i need to alchemize everything oh sure no yeah, I, I have um, to this day a hard time sifting through and categorizing things and then finding ways to either store or display them. Right. It's just not, oh, again, I never saw it modeled for me. And then when I've tried to do it on my own, it hasn't come out the way I like. And I've got a lot of perfectionist issues, which also ties into hoarding mm-hmm. um, because part of it is if you feel like you can't do the whole project at once and make it good, then you never do the whole project. Ooh. And that, that spills into a bunch of different parts of my life, but I can't. So like if my craft room is messy, spending 10 minutes 
picking some stuff up and doing incrementally is not satisfying to me. And I wind up feeling more anxiety than I did starting out. Sure. It just feels all the more futile. Right. Yeah. Like I did all this work. My mom would say that growing up. She was like, I did all this work and the place is still a mess. So, um, hoarding, trying to figure out how to Maybe with the bath water. Right. Well, for sure. Um, and then my dad left when I was in middle school and then my sister got, or maybe just before my dad left when I was in like fifth grade my sister got married in middle school. Then it was just me and my mom and, and all of her mental illnesses to go back to New York, right? To live with your uncle. Yes. Ostensibly? Who died when I was in seventh grade. But your dad never came back, did he? No. So there's like a million questions around that mm-hmm. still. Oh, like- he would like sleep on people's floors. There was this, oof, this was a moment. There was um, a pharmacy in Little Italy. I, I don't remember what it was called. I want to say Jilly's, but that's not it. It's a weird name for a pharmacy. Um, and I know that he knew the people who worked there and that they let him like crash in a weird room behind the pharmacy for a couple of years, I think. Uh, and when we were down in Little Italy one day, I turned around and it was there. And I literally fell through a hole in the fucking sidewalk because oh, I turned around and was like, whoa, 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 took three steps back. And there was literally a hole no. in the sidewalk. No. And I stepped in it and I still have a scar. I ripped the whole top of my foot open. Ooh. And I'm glad I didn't. I could have cracked my ankle in half. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shit. Anyway. I survived, but like no one with me had any idea what was happening. It was like I had seen a ghost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like no answers to anything. My sister knows, um, she knows about some of it, but everything was so like weird and murky. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, lots of me and mom, lots of her sleeping, lots of her yelling, lots of her not knowing how to handle anything, lots of her being terrified of me having sex or getting pregnant or being around boys, Mm -hmm. not about being around boys. I think that, I mean, sex specifically, (laughs) like constantly. um, I remember her just being like, Oh, it's, it's like two minutes of good. And then the rest of it isn't worth it. Oh my God. This (laughs) is some Carrie's mom shit. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah. And your mom wasn't really even approaching it with like, religious fervor was she no no it wasn't like that no man mm-hmm. oh and your sister wasn't even really around at that point because she was an adult oh, right adult. she after she got married she was um in charlottesville for a little while yeah she moved around where her husband had jobs and i didn't resent her for that hmm. my god i can't wait to get the hell out of there sure <laughs> are you and kidding i i've heard of num a number of um, families with that birth, um, with that level of birth order, mm-hmm. uh, being such a big age jump that like the one who's left at home is like, Oh shit. And I was a sibling and now it's like, I'm an only child. And usually in a really stressful yeah. context, not yeah. in like a, yay, it's just me. No. <laughs> like, nope. Um, and so as far as birth order behavior goes, I have all the worst traits of an oldest and an only. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm like, I want to push the shopping cart, but also you better fucking take care of me. Like, I, <laughs> I need this amount of independence, um, but I need to know. I'm not, I don't say I'm needy, but like I have youngest traits all over the place. 
because I don't feel like I really learned how to take care of myself in maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think a huge part of that is not just being the baby, but also like growing up in a really unstable environment where nothing guaranteed you care. No, no, nothing at all. Which is the worst. Yeah. No. The worst. And I, I never knew whether I was getting the Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde with my mom. Like sometimes she was lovely. You guys. I'm not here to talk shit about my mom. Right. But uh, like we had in very long stretches of time where things were fine and then something would snap and she would blame me for something or like accuse me of stealing something. And it was like, I, I just kept saying to her over and over again, I'm like, I have, I'm in the honor society. I am leading our youth group. I, I do this for you. I do the Girl Scouts thing. I, I'm also like the lead in the musical this year. I'm self-parenting. Like, what the, what do you, I get rides to all of my extracurriculars, but you know, it wasn't about me ever. And it didn't matter what I could have done because unless I had won the lottery and bought us a new house, that there was nothing I could have done to improve the situation. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was a lot of keeping my head above water. Okay. I have more, but you go. Yeah. You do a thing. All right. So um, I think we have a lot of similarities and uh, similarities and dissimilarities. And the, the biggest place where they diverge is that I grew up in, um, I grew up in a lot of guaranteed security. Hmm. I had, two parents who were there and who worked full time and who were very even keeled financially. And so there was never any doubt that the lights would be on. Mm. There was never any doubt that there would be hot water, mm -hmm. that I would have a bed, that I would have a room, that there would be TV and, and food. Right. That was never, um, material things were not a concern. Um, and, uh, again, not to speak ill of the dead, but, um, things kind of became very, very difficult in my life around the time I was seven. My dad, my dad, my late father had so much that he did not deal with. Mm -hmm. And who knows, like from all corners of, of his trauma, but, my my grandfather, his dad, was super, super abusive. My dad had gone through an assault, a sexual assault while he was in the military. Mm. Um, he had gone through a lot of shit. And um, his mom died very, very suddenly when I was like eight. Uh, and his mom was the shit. My grandma was great. Um, and I think something... My mom has since talked to a healer about this because my dad was a great, great dad and a wonderful man socially and an amazing husband. He and my mother had like an absolute love affair. He stole her from her first husband. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, you, I could not have had a better example of two people who absolutely loved the shit out of each other. Um, and he was an amazing dad to me. Uh, through my very early childhood. Great dad for a baby and a toddler and a little kid. The second I reached like the age of reason, 
something flipped in his head. And it's really hard for me to not um, internalize that. Oh, yeah. So hard because it's like, oh, once you saw the person I am, you hated me. Like once I'm not just a baby who's this tiny version of you. And now like this is the first time I'm able to be the person I'm going to be for the next because in 90 years, like you've rejected it entirely. Mm. And this healer that my mom has been seeing is like, you mentioned that he had had a sexual assault. It's not uncommon for individuals who are raising children. As soon as that child begins to develop sexually and we know psychologically Mm -hmm. like six, seven is a, is that, age at least like there's definitely a lot of um I, I don't know the psych well enough but like it's definitely when the brain starts becoming aware of all of these things sure. um that that like that's what they're pushing away mm-hmm. i don't know if i said that clearly enough but i'm not no, sure no, i'm capable of no, doing that's it right perfect. Now. they have they something that they saw as completely innocent now is corrupted yeah right right so, Oof. oh my God. So by, so really it was like, it was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. And um, to add to it, to add to that trauma, my father was a brutal alcoholic, mm. brutal alcoholic. And he would, um, he was not a fun drunk, needless to say, he was a, a terror. And um he would basically drink himself into oblivion constant. Like, and he was functional. He would show up, he'd do his job. He'd go to work all day. He'd come home. He'd drink all night. And on weekends, it would start at like nine in the morning. And it was so bad. And, um, and I immediately became the focus of that rage and that, grief and trauma and distress and the way that he verbally turned it on me i mean until until i probably made a really good decision and got rid of it i had a letter that he wrote to me when i was like seven or eight years old and he typed it up and he printed it and he put it in my room and it was a letter basically saying i love you because i have to but i do not like you and I do not think you are a good person. Oh, and I was God. a child. And I held that so close to me, literally and figuratively, Jesus. that I kept it in like my special things box oh, as a kid. And then later on, I kept it in my wallet. <laughs> Fuck. And I definitely had it until... I mean, until I was at least in my mid-20s, at least, because I remember pulling it out in my first apartment and reading it and being like, I am a garbage human. Not even my parents like me. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, And I remember, um, like, what what really, what sucked even more than that, perhaps, and that's real hard to beat, is that I brought it up to him once when... So, so our relationship got much better once 
a number of things happen at once. I removed myself from that house as much as I could when mm -hmm. I was old enough to have friends with cars. And then when I had a car, I was never home. So really just like being out of the crock pot was very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and when I went to college, I was just at college all the time. I was at college all year long. And that was so critical. Lucky. Real lucky. I wasn't Real able lucky. to pull that off until my junior and senior year when we moved off campus. And then we had an apartment, so it wasn't like you had to leave oh, for the summer. Right, right, right. No, no, no. My college pretty much only made you go home like two weeks a year. You could do summer semesters. You could do winter semesters mm -hmm. that are just a couple weeks, but I lived on campus and no one was there and it was bliss. Oh, that does sound amazing. Oh my God, I had the whole dorm to myself. Oh, that's so cool. It was really cool. Uh, <laughs> it was really cool. And what was cooler yet was that I did not have to be home. Yep. And once I started, once I went to college, um, my relationship with my dad started healing. And I'm sure that wasn't just me. I'm sure part of it was that he was, he was an old dad too. So like he was 40 when I was born. So by the time I was 20, he was 60 years old. His body was processing alcohol differently. He was retiring. He was, um, you know, I think he was just aging in a way that made him less hot-headed and awful. He was so awful, Jesus Christ. And it sucks because I look at I look at everybody else's experience of him, including my mom's, and they all knew this wonderful, sensitive, charismatic, like deeply romantic, um, brilliant, brilliant human being. He was engaging and entertaining and funny and all of these things that he could be for everybody else. And he could not show up like that for me mm -hmm. as a dad. Ultimately, he could show up for that for me like that more as a friend as I got older. And I will say the last 10 years of our relationship was fine, good, and eventually pretty, pretty darn great. Um, and I really enjoyed the person that he had become by the time I was in my late twenties, but fuck, it mm -hmm. really sucked to have everybody just love him and to say how much I took after him too. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. After my mom died, that was because, you know, people mean well, they mean so well. they mean so well. And all of that, all of that, like what a wonderful woman and this and that. And like, Oh, there was so much that was great. And she was also like, she was really funny and she was outgoing. And she was like, I mean, super weird, but not so eccentric that people wouldn't talk to her. Right. She just wasn't the town eccentric. Enough, no, just eccentric <laughs> enough that people didn't trust her enough to be a friend with her. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. She didn't really have a lot of friends. So uh, to have so many people who like only experienced her as like the wacky lady in the PTA or something like that. I mean, at a certain point, I was like... It's, thank you. It's cool. Like, please no more condolences. Like, please no more condolences. Especially for this, the hardest was with her, her friends that she had reconnected with, that she was had been friends with when she was younger, reconnected with maybe a couple years before she passed away. And they came up for, for the funeral and they were wonderful. But like, I'm not going to take this opportunity when we're all in mourning to be like, actually... Yeah, you're yeah, some right. shit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, on top of it, like, um, I'm pretty sure. So she she had smoked her entire life. She, like, since she was 13. She got pneumonia in, like, let's say 2002, 2003. 
when I was up here and living in Harlem. Um, that was so bad that I had to, my friend who I reconnected with after 9-11, we had had a huge falling out beforehand. Um, after 9-11, she and I became friends again. My mom, like on the phone, was wheezing so badly that I made my friend go get her. Oh my God. I made, I was like, I was like, this is, if you, you remember how to break into my window, because I used to forget my keys all the time. I was like, I bet you anything, that window's still fucking unlocked. And I bet you that that lawn chair is over there. Like, I need you to go break into my fucking house and take my mom to the doctor. And she did. And from there, um, she was in the hospital for a while with pneumonia. Um, And uh, I don't know, there was some, some malpractice thing she wound up she came out with copd and i believe that she probably had cancer when she died she definitely knew that she, she never was got dying. as far as a diagnosis no she didn't trust doctors at all uh-huh. at all so um after after the pneumonia um my uh we were all at christmas together at my uh, mother-in-law's house and I remember Grace looked at me and she was like, so how long has your mom had COPD? And I was like, hmm, what are you talking about? Mm. My mom had never, she apparently came out of the, of the pneumonia with the um, diagnosis of COPD. Never talked to anybody about it. She had just lost her health insurance. She, Sorry, she gave up, voluntarily stopped paying for health insurance. She could have afforded it oh. through Colonial Williamsburg, but she was like, I'm not using it. Oh. So I think part of her reasoning and not wanting to get treatment was that she didn't want to be a financial burden, et cetera. And there's no talking to her about it at all. Right. Like she was so sick. She wasn't walking around very well. Like there was no way I could properly take care of her, even if I wanted to. And she wasn't into accepting help. So anyway, it was terrible. She, after she passed away, um, I was able to process a lot of whole lot of stuff though. I'm not glad that she's gone, but like, no, of course not. I don't honestly think that I could have shaken off a lot of, a lot of the very intense weights and chains that I was dragging around for years. Ugh. Yeah. My dad's death was sad and weird, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't loaded the same way. Because I wasn't around him as much as a kid. But he was still a pretty big part of your life into adulthood, right? <clears throat> when I moved to New York, I got to know him as a person. Oh, my God. We had had, basically, my childhood was like phone conversations or overhearing him and my mom yell on the phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then occasional hey, trips Dad. to New York. Yeah. Uh, oh God, I remember one time I was talking to my dad on the phone, my mom, because of course she did. She had one of those talking clocks. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was a digital clock and it would be like, ding, the time is 4.05, whatever. It didn't do it every five minutes. That would be horrifying. How do I adjust the setting? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she won it out of a claw machine. I am 99% sure that she got it out of a claw machine, but regardless... Um, I hated this thing and I could never figure out a way to turn it off. And like, I tried to take the batteries out one time. She got mad. I was talking to my dad and all of a sudden I heard the clock over the phone <laughs> and I realized that my mom had been listening in on the other line. <gasps> oh shit. Oh my God. That's so crazy. And my first reaction was not mom's listening in. I was like, dad, 
do you have a talking clock? And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so like I had a cordless phone at that point. So I walked out into the hallway and I fully fucking busted my mom. Like I saw her standing there. I was like, mom. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Ugh. Um, but no, yeah. I mean, dad and dad's whatever. We can come back to that. There's a lot of, I mean, it's like when you're parenting someone like that, oh, that release. That's absolutely why I don't want to have children is because I Fuck, no. had to take care of her from the time I was like 12. Right. Right. Yeah. I already did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I remember, uh, I remember my dad. Were things already bad? Yes, they were definitely already bad. <laughs> Was it after 1991? It sure was. Mm. Things were awful. Um, when I, I, my dad was like driving me to or from school and he, we were like, we were getting to that point in health class when they were, when they were teaching you that drinking was bad and that oh, drinking okay. could hurt you. Like here's what your blood alcohol level and this is, yeah. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I mean, I was still little, so like. You know, scale it down to like second or third. Grade. Oh, okay, okay. But basically, you know, things like this will mess up your brain. And this is what you do when you're real fucked up. <laughs> and I remember, you know, dutifully taking that information to my folks and being like, this is why you shouldn't do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And my dad was in the car with me. He's like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Do you know why people drink, Jennifer? And I was like, well, Yes, to deal with things that feel too big and scary. And he was so shit. He was so flattened by my intrinsic understanding. And of course, it's my intrinsic understanding because I live in hell. Right. <laughs> of course, I know what this is being used for in this horribly toxic way. And like, wow. that's, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. So, um, so that, yeah, it was really bad. And I will say, I will say conversely, conversely, I had a really great relationship with my mom. I just didn't see her a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was home with my dad a lot because my dad didn't go anywhere and he didn't do anything. Oh. And he just, like, he went to work. Um, so I was mostly home with my, with my dad because other than going to work and being a totally responsible person in the world, otherwise he would spend pretty much every weekend entirely at home. And so I would be, I would just try and make myself as small as possible. Uh, I would try and just stay in my room and not do anything that could set him off. Mm -hmm. But that was not reliable at all because nope. just me existing. It didn't have to do with me making noise. It didn't have to do with me asking for things or, or like even being in his eye line, just something would happen in his head. And all of a sudden his rage would be focused on me. Oh my God. It was horrible. It was literally living in a tinderbox. And so in these situations, I mean, I'm a I'm a little kid. I'm up by like seven or eight in the morning and stuck with my father getting progressively <coughs> more and more angry, resentful, drunk. And my mom wasn't even, my mom was like running errands. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't even home until like 
5 p.m., at which point I have been spending all day with this maniac who I feel like I'd like to be really transparent was not really physically abusive. There are a couple times that he pushed me around, um, but he was, I could not have felt less safe. I could not have felt more, um, more terrified. And he was extremely verbally and emotionally abusive and, um, and had enough physical rage that I like, even though it didn't happen often enough for me to anticipate it, I still anticipated violence. It was horrible. It was horrible. And, um, and, uh, and then my mom, when she got home would like go to the mattresses for me and, and drag him into the basement and they'd fight. And they otherwise had a really great relationship and we'll talk about it now. And my mom's like, I never could have known that he would have been such a garbage father. Like that he, that he was just going to be a nightmare, especially when he was so, he wanted a kid. Uh, He wanted a daughter and he was a great dad to me until I was like six. He's great. I have like, I don't know, two memories that are nice. Um, lots of nice pictures. He was a really happy dad until I was basically a thinking sentient uh, creature, which is threatening. Real. So threatening, so dehumanizing. So, uh, I mean, just like I work <clears throat> through it every single moment of the day of not, of not living in a place where like just who I am mm. is enough to turn away the one the one person who was supposed to like have me, you know. Yep. And it sucks. Yep. And so what I hold on to are like the, and I never got an apology. Oh, God. <laughs> I never got an apology. There was never any, um, there was never any, thank you. There was never any overt acknowledgement like it's not like this man ever fucking went to aa and made his oh, <laughs> you know? right. it wasn't like that he just his mm. chemistry changed and the amount that he could drink and what it did to his body changed <laughs> timed out <laughs> yeah wow yes and so he became ultimately a much more laid back person who just didn't put himself in that same position over and over, which is not to say he ever stopped drinking. He did not, mm. but he stopped becoming such a nightmare. Mm. Um, and so there never was any like reckoning of the way that he had Jesus. affected my life and of, and then of the kind of person that he had been. And, you know, not just to me, also to my mom, mm-hmm. like my, my mom didn't even know what to do with him. And and then what an awful place to be in where the person that you love person that you ultimately would be married to for like 40 years and just love more than anything and who's never treated you as anything sub gold all of a sudden is an absolute monster Mm -hmm. when it comes to your kid like no i can't even imagine i i can't no i can't another good reason not Uh, parent (laughs) yeah like Yeah, and I know I know a lot of people who had crap childhoods, and they they want kids so that they can give them a better life. Um, and it's I think that's lovely. It is, and I know people who do a really great job with it too, like people who are really they turn the ship around 
and they, and they, you know, in obviously nobody's perfect, but like they make the concentrated effort to not be the kind of parent that their parent was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I get that, but everybody's going to fuck up in one way right. or another. And if you're like right. trying so hard to be like, not give your kid any phthalates or BPAs because you feel like you got poisoned as a kid or like, you know, whatever the thing is. Right, right, right. Child's still going to fucking hate you for some reason. Right. And you're going to overcorrect and there are going to be ways in which, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, I think although everybody is obviously, nobody's going to be amazing at it. There's definitely a sliding scale. Oh, of course. <laughs> You know, uh, I did get a little apology and it wasn't worth it. Right? And I think that too. So every time I think to myself, oh my God, how different would my life be if my father really... No apology is ever going to feel like what you think I know. you deserve. Well, and mine came because I had been... Oh, I was so... Oh, my... So after... Okay, timeline. My dad passed away, I think 2005. I think this is how it went. 2005, my dad passed away. 2006, my grandma passed away. My mom quit her job at Colonial Williamsburg. I'm sorry, she didn't actually quit it. She just left it and came up to New York, um, state Jersey, really, and stayed in my grandma's house under the auspices of cleaning it out and going through her stuff. Then Don and I got married in 20, 2007, and then she died almost a year to the day in 2008. Oh my God. She I died the day I before realized. our first wedding anniversary. I don't think I realized that she must have just passed around the time that we started. Yeah. Knowing each other. Yeah. I knew it was pretty fresh, but I don't, I didn't realize it was that fresh. <clears throat> yeah. Cause we were still, um, we were still going back and forth to clean out the house in Virginia by the time I moved on from Lush and was at meetup. Right. So, uh, oh no, where was this going? Oh, I remember we were, I don't remember if I was mad at her for not taking care of herself. I don't know if I was mad at her for not letting me hire a housekeeper. I don't know what I was mad at, but I mean, a million things ever. We've thought about this stuff all the time. And it would be like, you know, me saying, "Why I don't understand why you can't take these tiny steps that you know will make you feel better. Mm. And then she would be like, you don't know how to, what's best for me. And she would yell. We would just yell at each other. And this time she stopped and she was just like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, she's like, I was a terrible mom. I'm bad at everything. And I was like, no, no, no. That's not fair. No, no, no. Don't you don't get to be a martyr here. Right. So it wasn't even a good fucking apology. Oh, no. And was she feeling extreme pain when she said it? Was she actually remorseful? Yeah, I'm sure she was. Right. But because it wasn't like, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Right. It was, In its own it was I'm a bad person and you hate me. Right. It was being it was being weaponized. Yeah. And that's not that's obviously not the goal. Not <laughs> Not satisfying. Spoiler anyway. alert. Um, Do not weaponize your apologies. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was literally the only time I could think of in my entire life that she'd apologized for anything. Oh, my God. For all the promises that she made and broke, for all the times that she didn't pick me up after school, for all of the things that she fucked up. It was the only time I can remember her apologizing at all. So it was like, all right, I'll take what I can get, I guess. My dad, uh, my dad never said anything overtly there was never any acknowledgement. And I remember, I, I, I think I, I got a glimpse of maybe how bad it, it was for him. Um, so when I was like 22 or three, I, uh, and we had a good relationship. I was living in my first apartment 
and I went home for a birthday of his. And like, we were friends at that point point. Mm-hmm. and I was hanging out with him and I had, I had, my parents had encouraged me to schedule my visit so I could drop my car off to be serviced at the dealership near home. Mm-hmm. They would pick me up at the dealership and I would go home with them and I would leave my car and I would go home on Monday. Sure. Whatever. Maybe, maybe the next day, maybe like Saturday. So I go on like a Friday night and we're having a little, little three person birthday party for my dad. And he, some off, apropos of nothing, goes into horrible drunk dad land. And it was so bad that he did a full 180 on me. Honestly, I have repressed what he said because it was so horrible. Mm -hmm. He got so drunk that he was viciously Mm -hmm. laying into me and just like attacking who I was on every level. Jesus. Like, it's not even like, get your shit together, kid. It was like, you're a garbage human. And, um, and I was so, and I just remember something to the tune of like screaming at him, like, are you fucking kidding me? You're doing this now? What about the last four years that we've spent? cleaning this shit up right like why are you doing this to me and there was no answer it was just barbs 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 and i'm like i'm a grown-ass woman i'm gonna take myself to my but i couldn't Uh. because my car was at the closed dealership oh fuck and i remember going to my mom and saying you are taking me away from here first thing in the morning i don't remember what i did that night i might have had a friend come pick me up and just like take me out of that situation until and i think i said to my mom i'm like i'm never ever talking to him again just so we're clear this is this relationship is done and um and i got out of the house for the night and in the morning my mom and i left before my dad got up which was rare my dad was up at like 4 a.m really oh yeah in general yeah he he had gotten blitzed out of nowhere outside of you know his his habits and she took me to the uh the dealership and i picked up my car and i'm like so i'm never talking to him again and she had witnessed what happened and she was like holy shit do what you need to do and i went home and i remember getting it was so sad i got a voicemail from him and he was sober and he was like hey peanut I just wanted to say I love you and I don't know where you went. Oh. But I really loved seeing you. And I was like, okay, what? What the fuck? Oh my god. He didn't remember anything. Oh my god. He didn't remember anything. And I'm like, granted, I can't remember the details, but that's because I've pushed them so far down. Yeah, well, you don't need them. <laughs> No, I don't need him. If I need to forget anything in my life, it's that. Yes. It's that to- that toxic sludge that was hurled at me that has nothing to do with me. Nope. And I was like, oh, my God. He might not even know what he's done. Right. He might not have the ability to remember them. And, uh, and when he or when I or my mother was like, Here's what you said last night. He was so befuddled. Ugh. 
he was so confused and sad and like i don't remember any of that oh, God. and uh that was like the closest i got to an apology Jesus. all the way until that man was in hospice care um my dad had cancer uh for three years before it went it it got off the rails and alt and he uh he died at the very beginning of 2015 and he was uh he was at home in hospice for a month and uh his his abilities were very limited he really couldn't he really couldn't talk he was on a ton of fentanyl and and you know was drugged out of his mind and i remember i was sitting with him on his bed and just holding his hand and he got something out to me that like will never leave and he goes i did it all wrong i did it all wrong and i was like i don't know how to process this where we are right now like oh please don't get into this with me at the last possible moment right that's it's fucking unfair that's not good no <laughs> And, you know, the best I could say was, no, you didn't. You did, like, you did the best you knew how. <laughs> you did the best you knew how. And, like, and that was it. And he was dead a week later. <laughs> That's all I have Oh, to my go God. Uh, that was, it took me, um... Uh, it took me a really long time to feel like I had forgiven my mom. But when I did, it was that. Like, you did your best. <sighs> you did your best with what you had. And they did. Do you remember the first time that you realized that you weren't garbage? <laughs> uh, I'm still working on it. I mean, sure. <laughs> uh... I mean, I think in high school was the first glimmer that I had that, like, I was worth something. That people wanted what I, what I had, what I was, yeah. what I embodied. That I made other people happy. Yeah. And, I mean, my friends were my life. Same. And their families... Even if their families were a little fucked up, it still felt like they were way less fucked up. Than I mine. know, I know. Unfortunately, that gave me a weird. I know you and I have talked about this before, where I was just like, "Oh, as long as I can get away from this situation, everything will be fine." Like, even if things oh, are just a little bit fucked right. up, like life will be normal, and I can I can live a normal life. And like, that's not true for anybody. I got weird. So so when I had to deal with my own adversity, whether it was like. A housing situation that fell out from underneath my feet as a young 20 year old, something year old sure. or anything where I was like, I followed the rules. I did all the things I was supposed to do. Right. And I'm still getting fucked over. Like that was a real come to Jesus moment for me because I was like, Oh look, this can happen. to any this really can happen to anybody. You can try as hard as you want and something can still go sideways through no fault of your own. Sure. But I, it was high school for me too, where, where I was solidly, and I, I think it was a little bit, uh, maybe it started in middle school when I had started going back to church. I had a friend 
Oh, Leslie. I think I talked about her in one of those other, the weird friendship breakup. Um, her family was the one who encouraged me to start coming back to church and who was like totally willing to come down the street and take me to choir practice and stuff like that. Um, and it wasn't so much being around them, but ha having an, someone who felt like they could be an advocate for me, if it ever came to that, I never told anybody anything. This was all secrets, all secrets. Um, but they were regularly interacting with my mom and my mom would pretend to be, she would put on a good face. The more she was in front of other adults, the more I knew she was at least going to be even keeled. Mm. She was not going to act like a bonkers lady in front of the other grownups. Um, unless it was like a school administrator that she thought was full of shit. Like she would definitely be a little bit unhinged with those people. Um, and so I got the benefit of, of her having to behave a little bit more, the benefit of being able to escape more. And, you know, I got church things out of church and I got looking back on all of that. I have very complicated feelings about faith and religion because so like that period of time was so pivotal in me discovering myself, but also being like the world cares about me. Yeah. And you matter. Yeah. So then with that, it's this whole existential thing for me where it's like, did that healing come from a higher power or did it come from me? It can be a little of both. Sure. Too. I mean, I think we are inherently divine creatures with a lot of, a lot of stardust in us. And so there is a, there's a divinity, there's a, there, there is a, a universal power there inside of you. Yep. Yeah. And, and the other struggle I had from that time period specifically is like, I felt like prayer got me through a lot, but I was like, oh, if, if we're supposed to ask for what we want and then to be granted things because, you know, I don't know, all of religion is essentially transactional anyway, but <laughs> Um, like, why would I, oh, 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 this was the worst. Um, God will never throw more at you than you can handle. Oh, that's a rough one. That's, that's a terrible that thing to so say unfair. to somebody. It's completely unfair. But I kept hearing that over and over and over again. And I was like, what else? What else? My arms are only so big. Like, right. what do you want me to carry next? <laughs> what about the people who kill themselves? Right. What about the people who obviously can't and, and go to addictions right. and go to, uh, and, and go to, you know, really horrible, bad places. Right. Am I to believe that they didn't believe hard enough in God? Am I to believe that, that it was like a demon battle inside of them? And like, it's so, ugh. It's and then on top of that, obviously, now that we're a little older, um, you know, like, and, and what societally is stacked against you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Which is, I mean, not something that I even thought about as a kid, really, but growing up, like, I mean, a place to do a puzzle, haha. But like, I didn't have a place to do my homework. I didn't have, 
any kind of structure. I didn't have proper nutrition. Um, I didn't have Adderall. <laughs> like if I had been medicated as a kid, I'm always looking back on that. Like what, what would my full potential have been? Absolutely. Uh, so we took a quick break, but Jen, Jen and I were talking about how, like, this is obviously a tough episode, but hopefully it will be helpful to people. And I do, I, um, hmm, what, I think it was just before my mom passed away. I found, I didn't understand hoarding as an actual concept. Right. Like people would just joke about it. Like, Oh, my mom's a pack. Yes, rat, blah, yes. Blah, blah, blah. But that was when hoarding, um, started, people started talking about it as a disorder. Right. And also it's interesting. We have switched the, um, we flipped the script on so many things where it's not like you are, you are this thing. You have this thing. Right. Hoarding right. is not like that yet. It's still very You're stigmatized. You're still a hoarder. A hoarder right? You're not a person with hoarding disorder. So um, anyway, I found this group called Children of Hoarders, which is, uh, it was a Yahoo listserv groupy thing back when that was a thing. Um, and it was incredibly helpful. Very painful, but like super normalizing to see other people going through what I had been through to see other people cleaning up. I, Oh, that might've been just after she died because I was trying to find out how we were going to clean out her house. So I was able to get, connect with all these other people. I mean, all age ranges and, um, hear their experiences. And even though it was super painful for me, like I still, there's a couple of Facebook groups, um, that I will still pop into occasionally and just like hang out and people talk about like the weird shit they found in their parents' homes or like mm -hmm. how they were actively in a situation where they had to be back and living with their parents again. And, uh, it's such a, it appears to be such a small percentage of people because the diagnosis involves self-reporting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So who knows how many people are actually dealing with this. Right. And it's a secret. It's a secret just like domestic violence. It's just like alcoholism. It's something that you are expected to not talk about. No one's going to be let into that house. No. Right. Um, yeah. And we had a constant fear of like, my mom, she would always say, if you tell anyone what's, what this house is like, they're going to take you away. Oh, my God. Oh, I got that threat a couple times. Oh. I mean, obviously not about that, but um, um, but why? Uh, and, there, oh, there was some intervention. Oh, shit. So uh, I remember, I mean around that time in my childhood around around seven when things started going real far south um i don't know who must have figured it out but somebody was keeping an eye on me at school and huh. was like you should start seeing a a, a a child psychologist and there was one employed at the school oh i don't know where we got these resources in the middle of bumfuck <laughs> but hey um and this lovely lady mrs goldberg was my school psychologist and she would see me like at least once a week and I'd go and I'd talk to her and I remember telling her about my uh, m about how things were with my dad and what he would do on weekends and how bad it would get and she gave oh, things were so bad at home one night that I tried to look her up in the yellow pages mm -hmm. 
And I think I might have actually found her and called her on like a Saturday night and been like, things are really bad right now. Oh, man. And I'm really scared. And I don't know what happened, but I know that was like the first adult who cared and um, and and seemed to understand that what I was going through was not supposed to be what a kid was going through. Right. And uh, I forget what they would use it for. But at some points, I would be like, "I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the police on you. I'm gonna do whatever." And then the threat was, "Fine, let Dyfus take you. You want to be in foster care?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. You want to be in foster care? God. Do you have any idea what the foster system is like? Right. Right. Fuck. Meanwhile, I remember very distinctly. <laughs> That's why I love Punky Brewster so much. I was like, oh. She was an orphan. That orphanage looked pretty fun, actually. <laughs> Maybe they should just come and take me. Whatever happened to orphanages? Which which uh, president got I rid of them? I genuinely don't know, but I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say Reagan. I'd say Reagan, Probably too. Probably with the same, the mental health stuff. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm. Well, fascinating question, though. <laughs> That's, that is a good question. But, yeah, I... I mean, and there was no relative I could have gone and stay with. I wasn't going to go stay. I mean, at the time when I was younger, I didn't realize how weird my mom's sister's family was. Um, they seemed like the normal ones. Well, I'm going to give a big, big, big shout out that will probably never be heard to my aunt and uncle. Um, I, I adore them. They've done a lot for me in my life. Um, and I don't think they knew what was going on, but I would stay with them sometimes and um, – and it was such a haven for me because it was a, a time when I felt like I could be around family who felt safe and who cared. And I didn't have to worry about all of the scary shit that happened when I was at home. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I was there regularly, but I would get to spend like a week with them in the summer. And that was really great. And they have, um, I mean, they've really, they've always been a haven for me. And I, I told them as much, uh, handful of years ago I don't remember if my my dad was still alive when I told them I think um but I was an adult and I was like you know here's what was going on at home and they were so troubled by it oh god they yeah. were so troubled and I was like this was not to upset you this was to say thank you and this is what, <laughs> you know this is what you mean to me like you'd already mean this much but right um and, you know, everybody else was, like, too far away or incapable. Right. So they were, like, the two people who were relatively close by who who were functional. And I got along with my cousins and I got to spend time with them and, you know, feel like I was part of, like, a normal family. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The feeling bad thing. When we were actually cleaning out my mom's house, which took us uh, five years of little trips, by the way. I was going to ask yeah. how long it had been. I thought it, it was, was like five or six years. Time. Um, and then we, it wasn't even fully cleaned out when we sold it. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That's, you can't get insurance if a, if a house is standing empty like that. So it's sitting uninsured for anyone to like wander over and burn it down. Oh. Yeah. Terrifying. Every time we went, I was expecting to find squatters. I'm shocked that you didn't. I am too. Or... At the very least, a family of raccoons. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That would have been fun, though. I like raccoons. Um, 
their little hands. Oh God, I love them. I love raccoons. Have I told a raccoon story on this yet? Ever? Not yet. Okay, let me tell the <laughs> this thing I meant to say, and then I'll tell the raccoon thing. We'll wrap up with raccoons. Oh yeah, actually, it's a good up note. Um, <laughs> but no, my friend Lish's uh, dad came over to see if he could help, and he was just like, "Holy shit." Is this really what it was like? And I was like, I mean, it's a little and worse Lish now. And was the one who lived in town with you, right? She's been your yeah. friend since like high school. Mm-hmm. And I'd spent many, many weekends at her house. And they knew that she wasn't coming to my house, but they never asked any questions. And he he really felt bad. And I was like, it's not, mm. I was a good actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? A, I do... I do wonder if they could have been more observant, but B, can you imagine the horror of being an adult who cares about a child and who realizes in hindsight how much that child needed them? Like second shout out to Brittany's family. Ultimately it, I didn't have to do that whole, whole horrible thing every single weekend because right. a lot of weekends I would spend at her house and I'd go over on a Friday night and I'd come back did I get to spend two nights? God, I hope I did. I hope I got to come home on Sunday. It's possible <laughs> I came home on Saturday and was like, oh, fuck. I got to uh, do this again tomorrow. Right. But, I mean, that was not a perfect family scenario, but definitely a step up. Definitely. Yeah. And I don't know if they – I don't think they realized Brittany did because there were a couple sure. times that Brittany did sleep over my house and witnessed that whole situation. Jesus. And so she knew, I mean, I was always very candid with her. She knew what I was going through at home, but um, yeah, I mean like those safe houses don't realize what they are. Right. My friends knew I never let them in. Um, I think that Shauna came a few steps in, I think a couple of the thread needle people, cause they were giving me rides from very far away and then we'd be like, can I come and use your bathroom? And I'd be like, nope, no running water. That's a whole other podcast. Um, let me wrap up. And so they, some people really, really knew what was happening. Um, and other people, I mean, they would give me rides home. Lish up. did, right? Yeah, yeah. Her parents did Oh, not. yeah. No, she totally did. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we all kept each other's secrets. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because you're kids. You do. <laughs> it's not for parents to know. Nope. So raccoons. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Once again, grew up on three acres of land. Um, We definitely had like squirrels in the ceiling for sure. In your house? Yes. Yeah, you could hear them like scampering around. Um, the house was not, not maintained at all. <clears throat> and I was largely unobserved as a child. <laughs> and I was not a very outdoorsy child. So I liked the raccoons that would come up. We would put out um, dry food for our indoor-outdoor cats, just like sort of throw it out on the back porch. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly we started getting families of, of possums and raccoons that would then generationally come back the next year with their babies. <laughs> so it was like the Sylvanian families. So I got to watch baby raccoons and possums come up. And I mean, it was a sliding glass door. Sure. But then maybe it's just the screen door. Oh, yeah. And then maybe I was all by myself (laughs) and I left a trail of cat food into the house. house. And I hung out with that raccoon for at least a half hour. Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) That's so great. It fucking let me pet it. (gasps) Oh, my God. That makes me so happy. 
Don't try this at home. There was, I had to go back in time and I try think, it. Definitely. Uh, I, put the, I put the food in my hand and it would like grab it out of my hand with its little scratchy monkey claws. <laughs> oh man, we were buddies. How old were you? Maybe seven. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it, it let you pet it. I was living my own Cinderella wonderland. Yes. I had one really weird time. Being home alone was the best. And there was one time that I was home alone and uh, my folks were on vacation. I was already in college, so I wasn't like little. But I went into the backyard and there was just a fawn. A little baby Bambi fawn just laying down in the grass. And I, you know, it's a deer. Deer won't ever let you get near them. But I just like very, very slowly approached it and like took my time and stopped. And it was so chill. And eventually, I made my way to sit down on the grass with it and pet it. And it just sat there with me for a really long time. Oh, God. And then I saw an adult deer on the perimeter like, what the fuck are you doing, baby? Oh, no. And it was like just hanging out with the new friend. <laughs> it was my favorite. <laughs> my favorite. I'm thinking... I can I can see the look on the parent deer's face where it's just like, and they do that ear thing where they're like, oh fuck, yes. <laughs> they twitch the ears like, oh god, Jesus, but <laughs> yes, absolutely, its little tail goes, <laughs> yeah, 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 as if they're like, hey, crew, <laughs> what are you doing? Not that one, <laughs> not that one. Four legs, four legs, not two. <laughs> up with a really funny story again from my adulthood because my childhood was the worst um but uh uh one summer that i was why was i at my folks house it was probably i was probably in college and it was probably the summer that i had to spend at home and uh and i was in the shower and i heard big footsteps bunk, 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 that sounded like they were coming up the basement steps and the blueprint of my house, the basement steps would be right next to the bathroom. Oh, I don't like it. And I was like, Whoop. and I'm just like, okay, this is just me and my overactive imagination, which was always the answer from my very practical parents. And I hear it again, bum, 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 and I get really freaked out. And I pull on a towel and I pull on a robe and I call 911 because nobody else is home. And it's absolutely somebody on the stairs. Oh, my God. And I call the cops who have nothing better to do in my town. And they're like, okay, you go outside. You wait for us. We're going to send like a SWAT team, essentially. So all these cruisers park in the driveway. And they send a bunch of cops inside the house. They're oh looking God. inside, outside. Nobody's there. Nobody's inside. No one's on the perimeter. And uh, I let my parents know that I've called the cops. And they're like, what the fuck, Jennifer? And I'm like... What the fuck? I swear to God, I waited it out until I knew I wasn't crazy. And there were absolutely still footsteps on the basement stairs. I don't know what to tell you. And right. they're like, don't ever call the police. And I'm like, well, that's a bad lesson to teach uh -huh. a young lady, but okay. Um, <laughs> and so time goes by. I feel like an idiot. And um, one day, my father hears it. Oh, oh okay. One day soon after, and he's like, who the fuck's in the house? Looks around, can't find anything. And he was an obsessive person. So he was just, it was driving him crazy. Mm -hmm. Eventually, what was also right behind the bathroom is the patio roof. Oh. And it's covered in gravel. 
And so he looks outside. Eventually, he's looking like a madman for a long time and getting increasingly concerned. Mm -hmm. And he goes outside and he sees these giant ass crows the size of raccoons. Oh, my God. Pecking footstep like pecking <laughs> on the roof to break up the gravel because they eat it because it makes their digestion work. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I believe I may have gotten an apology from him or my mother as they were both like, oh. we heard that sound and it's okay that you called the cops because holy fuck. Wow. Also, it's crows trying to disrupt their gullets or whatever. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> big, big, big crows. Oh, wow. Pecking. Crows are terrifying. They're dinosaurs, man. Yeah, they're all dinosaurs. Yeesh. <laughs> so, oh. At least the wildlife was one. Yeah. <laughs> totally Oh my God. <laughs> Just imagine you petting this little. Are you kidding? Rat. We were such good friends. I love them. I love the possums too. People are freaked out by possums. But possums I love them. are supposed to be great. And yeah. they eat ticks. They do. <laughs> They do. So. And they're like just so many little babies. We just saw so many little babies. And I remember somebody, there was a big scare one time about like a rabid raccoon. But I knew exactly what a, like, you know what a rabid raccoon looks like. The raccoon doesn't, it doesn't look like my friend. <laughs> it's like, it looks like the raccoon out of um, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> they have that whole thing, right? It's a raccoon, right? It's, they're out during the day. They're freaky. They're frothing. Yeah. And they're like... Stumbly. Yeah, stumbly and maybe having seizures and stuff. So anyway, I knew what I was doing. I was a Girl Scout. Go befriend your local wildlife. <laughs> I got to say, if there was a raccoon sanctuary somewhere, I would be the first person to sign it. Could we have <laughs> like a cat cafe, but with raccoons? Oh, my God. I didn't tell you there was a little tiny baby raccoon on our deck. Oh, Oh, what happened? Um, I think it got freaked out, and it they were there was a family of them in our driveway, and then it ran up the stairs, oh. and then all of a sudden there's this baby raccoon on the deck, and I'm like, Andrew, can I go pick it up? He's like, Don't you dare go pick it up! I'm like, I really want to pick it up, and Bear is like, ah. <laughs> he's so excited, his his nose is running, his eyes are all glassy. This is the the dog. the dog. I don't think we've specifically talked about bear before. <laughs> no, we have you not. You skipped right from your husband I did. into the salivating and <laughs> nose running. So I wanted to make sure. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, the dog and I were super excited about that baby raccoon. And then I think its family picked it up. Mm. But it was real cute. Mm. It was real cute. I was, I, I absolutely, if I had not had a detractor in the wings, <laughs> I would have just opened the door and put down some like, yep. <laughs> Come on inside. Oh no, now what? Oh no. Oh no. Guess, <laughs> oh no, I guess we're buddies forever. Tomorrow. Oh, so good. Oh, I made you a little bed. <laughs> Meet my dog who wants to put you in his mouth. <laughs> oh, Bear would just carry it around though. He wouldn't hurt it. He would just be like, oh. He wouldn't. He would be he would be mortified if he heard it. He'd be so sad and confused. <laughs> that fucking dog. He's a good baby. <laughs> This has been all the fucks, you oh, guys. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. This was extra fucks. This was extra fucks. Thanks this is for hanging in. Fuck Sunday with fucking cherries on top. And fuck wet walnuts. You're gonna love my nuts. <laughs> oh, that's how we're ending it. <laughs> Thanks for letting us hug your ears here on All the Fucks. 
Leave us a message at anchor.fm slash all the fucks, or you can find us on Twitter at fucks podcast on Facebook at all the F.CKS or on Instagram at all the F.CKS pod. Thanks so much for listening. Next time on All the Fucks. It was always a little weird. Okay. That this, the guy who ran it, I think we pronounced his name Dr. Shade. Dr. Shade! I just thought about myself. Oh my god. <laughs> Dr. Shade. I'm better. I'm here. Loved his boy's choir. Yeah, I bet he did. Oh, he did. Mm.